This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. Enjoy the show. Every little thing you think that you need, every little thing you think that you need, every little thing that's just feeding your greed, oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hey, everybody. This is Joshua Fields Milburn. And this is Ryan Nicodemus. And we are... Ah, wait. Oh. No, we're the minimalists. <laughs> we are the minimalists. <laughs> Great. This is our very first ever podcast, and we've already screwed up. I know. During the intro. Man, we just lost like 20 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, everyone. Um, welcome aboard. This is our very first ever podcast, and today we have a, a studio audience with us of, of three. Our producer, Sean, and then we have Mariah and Bex here as well. So if you hear laughter in the background, it's because we have paid them to laugh at our jokes. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> Well, let's talk about why we decided to do this podcast in the first place. We've been doing this whole minimalists thing for the past five years now, and we've written a ton of books and essays, but we hit the road quite a bit, and we've done hundreds of events. And our favorite part from a lot of these events is at the end, we tend to do a, a Q&A session, questions and attempted answers. And this is our attempt to do that without going on the road for... 10 months a year, as we've done in the past, and going to hundreds of cities, which is great, and we'll still be doing that, but this is an opportunity to do that even while we are home. So our podcast is going to be formatted basically as a huge question and answer conversation between Ryan and myself and, of course, you, the listener. So we'll go ahead and and get started with uh, our very first segment, which is a minimal monologue, and um, the rant that I have this week is, well, we, we had a contest for our book, Everything That Remains, up on Instagram, and we asked people to answer a, a question for us, which we attempted to answer actually with that book, and that question is, what is one thing you always thought you wanted, but then once you got it, you no longer wanted it? And we wanted to announce the winners of that contest today. I would encourage you to go and check out the hundreds of comments on Instagram. We also posted it on Facebook as well. And see, there's just a ton of inspirational uh, comments from people who had attained something, had achieved something that they had always wanted and realized once they got it, it didn't make them happy. It didn't make them satisfied. They didn't feel fulfilled by it. So, Ryan, you want to read some of the winners here? Yeah. So the first winner is... Haley Adams. She said, I always wanted some, I always wanted someday. I couldn't wait for my husband to finish grad school or have a second child. Now I'm realizing that it's the little moments of every day that make me happy. So I'm learning to enjoy the now and realizing it's a pretty great place to be. You know, that that reminded me of of an essay that we have on on our website called Someday. Um, We are constantly searching for this this thing. And so Ryan and I put together an exercise uh, to try to make someday today. Uh, I'll uh, just read a, a quick snippet from it. Ryan hates when I read essays, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to read an essay. 
<laughs> no, um, so uh, th- this essay is on our website, theminimalist.com slash someday, but you can also find it in the show notes for this episode, along with everything else we mentioned in this episode. The essay goes like this. Let's go analog for a moment. Grab a pen and a piece of paper and write down a handful of meaningful things you've been intending to do. Label this list someday. Here's some examples that, that we have. Declutter your home, read a classic novel, take a road trip, get into shape, join a yoga class, learn how to meditate, start a new business, play an instrument, contribute to your community, fall in love. Now, on the back of the same sheet of paper, list every action that has occupied the last 24 hours of your life. Label this list today. And some examples there might be shopping, busy work, Attending meetings, checking email, perusing social media, sitting in traffic, working late again, hitting the snooze button, thumbing through useless apps, sharing passive, I'm sorry, staring passively at a glowing screen. And while many of uh, the items on the second list are necessary or even urgent, but just because something is urgent doesn't mean it's worthwhile. In fact, misguided urgency is often the enemy of progress. And for most of us, someday is the single most dangerous word we utter. It grants us the illusion of future possibility without having to focus on that which is important today. Just imagine, though, how different your life would be if you switched your list titles. Or if you flipped the page and made someday today. Or worse, what if, what if you wait? Years from now, you might be sitting around pining for someday to arrive. Someday. Yeah, <clears throat> it's funny. Uh, I was thinking about, while you were reading that, about how uh, I have really been getting out of my workout routine lately. Mm. And um, it was like Tuesday. I was like, oh, yeah, the New Year's rolling around. I'm going to get back into it. And all of a sudden I'm like, no, like I'm going to do it now. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym. Yeah. I'm just going to run for a half hour. Maybe it's not like the, the exact routine that I, that I want to do. Um, but I can at least do something and, and get in there and get some work done and, uh, not be that guy who's strolling in it, you know, on January 1st, uh, starting a routine, uh, and just to let it go. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's important to take action for sure. Quite often our our affinity for perfection or getting it just right uh, prohibits us from actually doing it. So having the right workout clothes, the membership to the right gym, the right time of day, the right mindset, the right music playing, whatever it may be. And we have all these rules we set up that actually prevent us from accomplishing what we want to to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. Who's our next winner? (laughs) Our next winner is Kelly Mills. Kelly Mills wrote, I wanted a Keurig for a time when everyone was getting one. Now, if for those of you who have been living on Mars, a Keurig is a <laughs> really overly priced coffee maker, uh, which Ryan and I have both owned in the past, yeah, uh, at some I'm point. pretty sure. In fact, I've owned several because they've broken, or some of the retail stores we used to manage back in the day actually yeah. had them. If you remember uh, some of the stores you managed, they, yeah. they had a Keurig for customers. For customers, yeah. Yeah, it's like a single cup coffee serving type machine. I resisted for a long time, she writes, reminding myself that the small cups are wasteful and pricey. 
Then we got one as a gift, and we loved it for a time. Then we noticed the K-cups were wasteful and pricey, which we already knew beforehand, <laughs> and we got rid of it. So I'm going to pause for a second. K-cups, that is the the little individual packet that goes in the machine. And it's a piece of plastic piece that holds you know, a couple of tablespoons of coffee. Right. Yeah. The creator of the K-cup has expressed his regrets as well. Ultimately, we are drawn in by convenience without considering the real cost of it all in the grand scheme of all the things. Well, since we're, we're talking about coffee, we might as well at least bring this up. Uh, later in, in January, we're going to be in St. Petersburg for three days, what we're calling three caffeinated days with the minimalists. Uh, Ryan and I, it was our initial intention after we, after we left the corporate world to sort of just become baristas and, <laughs> and live a pretty simple life that way. And we're finally get, getting to live our dream, at least for three days, down in St. Petersburg, Florida, our friends Joshua and Sarah, uh, who actually do photography for our website, they, they live down there and they're opening an awesome, very well-curated coffee shop called Bandit Coffee. Now, we're screening our documentary, which comes out uh, in May, but we're going to do a special charity screening there. Unfortunately for you, that is already sold out. But don't fret. If you're anywhere in Florida or even Georgia, or I'm sure we'll have some people drive from uh, different places in the South, you, you can still come hang out with us for a couple of days, and we'll make some coffee for you at Bandit Coffee. If you want some information on that, it's just uh, banditcoffee.co, so banditcoffee.co slash minimalists. And again, we'll put that as well as everything else in the show notes. Um, also, if, if you, I, we're, I guess we're really big proponents of, of drinking great coffee, and I would tell you the one thing about the Keurig is it's convenient, but it's shitty coffee. It is. It's like this wonderful, convenient machine that produces mediocre coffee. <laughs> yeah, and, and mediocre if, if you get a good cup of it. Yeah. I mean, in general, I wouldn't drink a cup of, of Keurig coffee now. There's no intention behind it. It's not very deliberate. It's, it's a quick fix. It is easy, but it is not simple it's not beautiful it's uh, it's not meaningful and so um if you want to see our coffee setup while we're on the road we we did this we, last year we were recording a documentary and our director matt did a, a video called um pack like the minimalists and, and you can see how we packed we were on the road for for 10 months in 2014 actually and we each packed one duffel bag, and we also had a coffee kit with us right. as well. A because pour-over coffee kit. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to get to get good coffee in certain places, uh, especially like Saskatchewan. <laughs> and and so we we have our own coffee kit. So you can find that at uh, theminimalists.com slash pack. And um, I think the last thing for for Kelly here, we'll send her a copy of uh, of the book, obviously. But we also wrote uh, an essay called "Life Is an Acquired Taste." And you can find that at our website, uh, theminimalists.com slash coffee, where we just talk about using coffee as a metaphor and sort of why we tend to drink black coffee as opposed to coffee with Splenda and, and, uh, I don't know, sprinkles or whatever people put in their coffee now. It doesn't mean that it's inherently wrong, but there there are reasons to enjoy the simpler version of things. Coffee sprinkles, patent pending. (laughs) <laughs> and I just want to say to all the folks out there who have a Keurig and love it, I'm glad that you love your Keurig. Uh, it just does not add value to either of our lives. And you're killing the planet. Who's the next winner? <laughs> the next winner, Aaron 
Prezel? Am I saying that right? Yes. You don't ever question it. Just read the name however you... So, so like, I would just read this and say, Aaron Krizal says... Oh, yes. And I'm probably totally wrong. I like it. Sorry, Aaron or Aaron. Aaron Krizal writes, a partner. So keep in mind, they're asking... We're asking, what is one thing you've always wanted? You always thought you wanted, but then once you got it, you no longer wanted it. <laughs> a partner. Though I have not always felt that I could find happiness through relationship, marriage, and the like, I have spent a significant number of years building one, a shared life with a single individual. It became stifling to try to rectify the disparity between what I wanted for myself and my intent to to live mindfully with their expectations for our life together. I realized through time and much self-reflection that what I want most of all is an intentional life alone rather than an unintentional life one together. Yeah, so, so yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, here's what I'll say is relationships are, our relationships, whether they're intimate in terms of, of having a partner or friendships or, or whatever, it's one of the most important values in, in my life. And so, so, Aaron, we're going to... We'll send you a copy of Everything That Remains uh, because that was part of the contest. But I'm going to send you two other books that are going to uh, at least point you in the direction of what a meaningful relationship is. I think you're right. You shouldn't have to depend on any one person to make you happy. You yourself are a complete person. And so uh, my friend Colin Wright, our friend Colin Wright, recently wrote a book called Some Thoughts About Relationships. And it's a phenomenal book. Um, and in fact, uh, my partner, who's here in our studio audience right now, and I literally have sat down and, and read it page for page, are these little musings on different parts of a relationship, what he calls rules. So he has different rules that are, are very pliable. You're able to, to bend them to fit your lifestyle. And here's the truth. Yeah, no, you don't need to be a partner to be complete, but our relationships are a very important part of our lives. And the nice thing is we get to define what that means, whether you have a partner or whether you have uh, whether you're you're by yourself, you're still going to have other people in your life. Life isn't worth living without other people. And the other book uh, we're going to send you while we're sending you those is our very first book, which is a book called uh, minimalism, live a meaningful life. There's an entire chapter about relationships in there. And sort of how do, how do we go about reprioritizing our relationships, which I think most of us don't do. For the, for the most part, a lot of us create relationships based on proximity and convenience. And so we spend most of our time with coworkers or, or networking buddies or uh, people that are fine people, but they aren't the most important people in our lives. And there are ways that we can reprioritize those those relationships and actually allocate our time, which is and our attention, our two most precious resources, on the people who are most important to us. No, that's a great point. Um, yeah, let's listen to the voicemail question from Elizabeth. Hi, Josh. Hi, uh, Ryan. It's um, Elizabeth um, Ortiz Schwartz, and I'm calling from Connecticut. And my question for the podcast is, um, do you have any recommendations for people who are undergoing uh, cluttering, uh, that it's not um, a packing party, something a little bit more gradual? Um, you know, I, I think that my frustration is that um, things are going and moving, uh, but it's taking too long with um, some of the other things 
that are going on in my life. So I'd like to, um, you know, to spark up the process and, and, and move it along a little bit more. Um, so if you have any specific recommendations for that, I would be happy to hear them. Uh, thank you so much for doing all you do to help um, people uh, live less uh, cluttered lives. Thanks. Bye. All right. So it basically sounds to me like what, what Elizabeth's question is, is how do you gradually declutter your home? Mm-hmm. There's a few different ways to do this, right? I mean, you could do what I did. <clears throat> you could have a, a packing party, although she specifically said in the voicemail she did not want to have a packing party. But for those listeners out there who uh, would be able to do something like that, that is certainly, uh, I don't want to say a quick and easy way because there's nothing easy about it. But uh, for me, going through that three-week experiment, it was a long enough time to to really understand what was and, and wasn't adding value to my life. But yeah, certainly there are families and other people out there who have a ton of stuff and a packing party would be an absolute nightmare. So Yeah, and we've had a lot of readers who have done your packing party, but for one room in their house, too. We get a lot of people who say, you know, what you did is too extreme, so I'm just going to do a, a easier version of it. Uh, I would actually argue that the packing party is probably the simplest way to do things because it's a, a essentially a set of rules that you've set up for yourself and you follow in a very quick period of time. But it doesn't just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. It's a fairly difficult task, but once you get through it, um, you're you're much better off. Yeah, and you know I, I know uh, readers who have done that with one room to and then move on to the rest of their house or to move on to other rooms. And yeah, just doing that one piece at a time, uh, every three weeks or every four weeks, uh, going through and, and really uh, putting everything together and figuring out what you're using and what you're not using. Certainly, there's the also the minimalism game that tens of thousands of our readers have really got a ton of value out of, where you can uh, find your friend or family member who wants to declutter, and you can kind of make this act of decluttering, turn it from a banal action into something fun and a little bit competitive, where you, on the first day of the month, you both agree to get rid of one item, and then on the second day of the month, you get rid of two items, and then the third day of the month, three items, so on and so forth, and whoever makes it to the end of the month wins. So, you know, if, if you guys bet a dinner, or, or uh, if, you, if uh, you bet something small, a movie or something like that, that, that can certainly be worth all that effort. Yeah. And then if both people make it, they both win, right? Yeah, totally. And it, it, it makes it a lot... You win, really, because it's a lot more fun. Decluttering is boring. When I hear the word decluttering, I just sort of wince because it's like, why would I want to just clean out my closet? Or like, it's just so boring. Like, I understand the benefits of it intellectually, but emotionally, it's a little bit harder to follow. And I think by having an accountability partner there, you're really going to be able to get not just get the momentum you need, but but stay accountable and continue to to move forward. So you can find uh, really an accountability partner anywhere. It could be a, a spouse, family member, friend, coworker, enemy who will keep you, keep you accountable. <laughs> um, but also if you don't have anyone who will be supportive of you, of you in that fashion, you can go to our online community over at, at minimalist.org and we have free local meetup groups in a hundred cities now, and if you're in, if you're near one of those hundred cities, you can actually meet with people online and in person uh, with the monthly meetups. Or if you're not near one of those those cities and you're in a different country, uh, we have those in eight countries, by the way. 
you can connect with our online city. So just go to minimalist.org, find your city, or connect with folks in an online city, and they'll help keep you they'll help keep you accountable. The last thing I'd recommend for Elizabeth is uh, the uh, practical minimalism tips that we have on our website. So we did something called uh, 30 days, or I'm sorry, a month of minimalism. And so you can go to theminimalists.com slash month. And there are some pretty practical tips. We took some beautiful photographs and put them up on Instagram and then wrote a caption with each one of those photos, just giving some very practical tips about junk drawers and about experiences and about living rooms, like all of these different practical tips that by themselves are, are fairly easy. But when you add it up, a, a bunch of easy things, you've all of a sudden decluttered your home and gotten the excess out. Now, let's keep in mind while we're doing this, though, you're, you're getting the excess out of the way to make room for what's truly important. You could go get rid of all your stuff and still be utterly miserable. Come home to an empty house and sulk after removing all your pacifiers. That's not the point of minimalism. The point of minimalism is getting that excess out of the way, finding what truly adds value to your life, what brings you joy, and then finding out what's important outside of the stuff. And so you're able to start reply, uh, replacing the stuff, the time you allocated to the stuff, to your health, to your relationships to your passions, and to growth and contribution. And those five things are, are the five values we wrote about in our book, uh, Minimalism, Love a Meaningful Life. So, Elizabeth, I'm going to send you a copy of that as well. I hope you find value in it. Yeah, I think the, the, last, the last thing I would add to this is to just really get clear on why you want to declutter. I mean, that is really what is going to drive you. It's what's going to motivate you to, to take these daily actions, to make these small steps. And that could be the simple reason of, oh, I want to have, you know, comp- more company over, more room for company, or I want to clean my house uh, in, in half the time of what it takes now, or, or maybe it's, it's just the uh, aesthetic. You just want to have a nice, clean, clear home. But whatever those reasons are, make sure you're clear on those and you are focusing on, on the why. And uh, yeah, for us, it, it comes down to those five things and, and uh, really helps us stay motivated. Elizabeth, thank you for your question. We're going to move on to some questions from social media. This is our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round. So a lot of you have posted questions on social media. We'll get through some of those on this podcast. Um, On Twitter, Virginie G asks, how do you explain greed in our society? Is greed distinguished as capitalism or enlightened self-interest? You know, I saw a, a chimpanzee study. Um, it's interesting because you know, our primates, chimpanzees, and you also can look at, at bonobos, and they're, they're both radically different. Chimps tend to hoard stuff. It's a psychological imperative for them, or maybe just an evolutionary imperative. If you give them you know, a hoard of bananas, they will fight off other chimpanzees to try to hold on to them. Bonobos tend to share the same horde. And now I don't know whether or not we're more like chimps or bonobos in that respect. <laughs> it's probably a little bit of both depending on, on the individual. But um, I would say capitalism, which you mentioned here, Virginie, uh, doesn't necessarily lead to greed. Capitalism itself isn't inherently bad. I, I would actually argue the system that we have right now isn't capitalism. It's crony capitalism. You look at the most... Uh, 
affluent people, they have the most influence on the political process. You look at the people who, who donate the most money to you know, political action committees, especially after uh, 2010 with the, the Supreme Court decision on uh, corporations are basically people. And, and the money that is in politics now has uh, tipped the scales toward the most uh, affluent people in the country, the, most, the 400 most affluent people in the country. I'll give you a, a quick stat. Uh, during Bill Clinton, while, while he was uh, running for president, he spent $33 million running for president. A lot of money, except in the 2016 election, the person who wins is going to spend about $2 billion. Wow. I mean, it's not even close in terms of order of magnitude, and that's because of the money that is now in politics. That's not capitalism. That's not uh, a meritocracy. That is a rigged system. You know, the, the system isn't broken. It's fixed. And that's and. Crazy. And so if I were to look at the problem, I wouldn't say, no, it's not capitalism. Greed is, is a result of unfriendly competition. There are some American Indian tribes who think of competition as a mental illness. And while I certainly wouldn't go that far, I think friendly competition is okay. But when it's winner-take-all in survival uh, situations whether that's food or resources or, or, or homes or, or, or money, et cetera, then uh, we, we start to face some pretty difficult problems. And the way to change that really isn't at a, a not expecting the government to, to fix everything. The way to change that is for us to fix it at a relatively local level, and then it spreads to a more, a more nationwide level. Yeah. I think if you look at some of the problems that we've had now, like uh, uh, marriage equality, so with gay marriage, or even with, with marijuana legalization, those are things that have been bottlenecked in the federal government for many, many decades. But when it started to happen on a local level, it snowballed. And then you start to see states pass, and all of a sudden enough states and municipalities pass certain laws, then you'll start to see it on a regional or even national or worldwide level. It becomes rapidly uh, more accepted than it was even a, a decade prior. Yeah, I mean, you just saying that makes me think of how these sharing economies are starting to pop up here and there. I mean, and uh, somewhere in Connecticut, I just saw they just opened up their first stuff library. That's awesome. So it's just a bunch of stuff where, yeah, you, you go there, you you can borrow a tool, you can borrow um, whatever they have. It, it, there's, it's not like anything specific. Um, it's, it's, they just have a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, we had the guy in, in Albuquerque who came up to us and said, I use Craigslist as my storage locker. So when I need a chainsaw, I go to Craigslist and get my chainsaw. And then when I'm done with, with that chainsaw, I put it back in my storage locker, Craigslist, let someone else get value from it. So there are a bunch of different things that help allow us to have access to things without having to incessantly hoard those items in perpetuity. Our next lightning round question is from Pamatani on Facebook, Ryan. Pamatani asks, what do you do with the old photos after you scan them? I can't bring myself to throw them away or shred them, especially the ones with my parents in them. I feel so cruel and ungrateful if I do that. Get rid of them. Hashtag minimalism. Yeah. Next. (laughs) Well, they're, they're talking about an essay uh, if you go to our website, theminimalist.com forward slash scanning, where 
we had a scanning party with our photos where we scanned everything, uploaded them online up to the magical cloud, backed them up on our computers, and then we threw the photos away, which certainly wasn't the easiest thing ever. I know that when I was first starting to get rid of them, uh, it was this this tearing of my heart when I was dropping the box of uh, this box of photos into the trash and and I kind of hesitated. I'm like, no, you're a minimalist. You got to do this. And uh, and I, I couldn't bring myself to throw the whole box away. So what I did is I just picked a couple pictures out and put them in the trash can and then thought, all right, I'm going to sleep on it, see how I feel in the morning. I got up, went to work, didn't even think about it until I got home, actually, and realized that, you know, the, the memories are not in the pictures. Uh, the memories are not in those physical pictures. They can certainly trigger a lot of memories. But letting those go eventually. It, it felt, felt really, really good. There's another option too for those out there who want to scan not just photos, but documents in general. Uh, you can send those off. I think it's $1 scan. That sounds right. Yeah, there's, there's a few different websites out there. Uh, we're not getting any uh, uh, <laughs> promotional uh, money for this. Uh, but yeah, just go at $1scan.com. There's a couple others out there where you can send in your photos. You can send in your paperwork. They will scan everything. And the beautiful thing is, is they shred it all afterward. You can't even, you can't get it back. There's no way to get it back. So Yeah, and I think once you, you know, for me, when, when my mother passed away and I had to deal with all of her stuff, I, I realized some really important lessons. One of the biggest lessons I learned is that the memories aren't in the things. The memories are inside us. Although it's true what Ryan said, sometimes the things themselves can actually trigger the memories inside us. And so before I, I left uh, Florida, uh, I left my mom's apartment and, and got rid of a bunch of her stuff, I took pictures of a lot of her things. So, and those pictures, along with the fo- boxes of photographs I took back to Ohio and eventually scanned, all of those photos allowed me to let go because I realized I wasn't you know, letting go of the memories that I initially thought were inside those things. The memories are in me, and now I still have the triggers for those memories. So if you scan them, uh, there's something awesome that happens once you scan them. And if you use a, a digital picture frame, uh, uh, Bex, you just got a a digital picture frame for your parents uh, this past Christmas. We were just out there in, in Minnesota, and they were all just, like, all of us were gathered, gathered around at, like, a, a warm fireplace or something. If you just get a picture frame and give it to someone, no one pays any attention to it. But if you scan a bunch of photos and they rotate through a picture frame, uh, a digital picture frame repeatedly, then you you actually have people who care about the, the content that's on them. And so uh, you can see what picture, digital picture frame that I use uh, at the essay that Ryan mentioned at the scanning party essay, as well as the scanner that, that we've used quite a few times, uh, theminimalists.com slash scanning. Lindsay Goodwin on Instagram asks, how do you deal with the natural pulling away from friends with different value sets? Mm. That is never easy, is it? I remember, well, we had the same friend. We've, you know, we got friends that we hung out with in high school. <laughs> we have a friend. <laughs> we have a friend. No, uh, I'm just thinking about, I just, I was re- uh, debating whether or not I wanted to say his name, but I'm not going to. But Josh and I have a mutual friend that we went to high school with who we just kind of gradually drifted apart and he never really kind of grew up and our values changed and, and his didn't. And that is certainly difficult. Um, I still will talk to him every once in a while. He'll call me on the phone or whatever. But uh, 
but yeah, it's, it, it certainly is never easy to have those conversations for me when I was going through the vast majority of my relationships changing when I realized that I needed to take some massive action and change the majority of the people I was hanging out with. I had a lot of conversations. Uh, the first conversation I had was with my mom when she called me up and she was like, Hey, how you doing, son? I'm doing well. And, uh, this was about a month after we had uh, launched the website and, uh, I'm like, how are you doing mom? She's like, I'm yeah, doing, doing pretty good. What's this minimalist stuff? And she must have like Googled my name online or something because we didn't tell anyone. And I'm like, oh, you know, mom, it's just this something I'm trying in my life to to simplify and uh, just make make my life a little bit more manageable than what it is right now. And just going down this journey, I really don't know where it's going to take me, but I just know that um, I don't want to continue living the life that I am. I, I need to make changes. And she was like, well, you know, I, I think that's great. I think it's great you're making changes are you going to be around for the holidays? And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to be around for the holidays, mom. Why, why, why do you think I wouldn't be around for the holidays? In fact, I hope to be around more than just the holidays. Uh, I hope, I hope that I can free up some time to see you more than, than where I see you now, which is pretty much just on the holidays. And, uh, she was like, all right, well, that's good. Good to hear that. Um, I'm still going to buy you stuff though, just so you know, uh, which I suppose she has the right to do that as my mother. Um, and that's where I kind of, pushed back a little bit and said, Mom, I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate you thinking about me. But if you get me anything that doesn't add value to my life, if you get me something that I can't use, I'm going to have to get rid of it, whether it's find someone else who can use it or uh, find, give it to a uh, goodwill or something like that. And by the way, this is not the thing to say to your mother. Uh, she, she got really upset. You're going to give away my gifts? And we kind of went back and forth. But eventually, what it came down to was me kind of just settling down a little bit and saying, Mom, I love you so much. You love me, right? And she's like, yeah, of course I love you, son. And I'm like, I want you to be happy. You want me to be happy too, right? She's like, yeah, of course I want you to be happy. I was like, well, if that's the case, then I just need your support. I just need you to support this journey that I'm on. That doesn't mean that you have to have a packing party. It doesn't mean that I'm going to come to your home and and judge the things in your home. Uh, It just means that I just need you to to please support me along this journey. And I had that conversation a lot. And it's not an easy conversation to have, but it certainly uh, certainly was a valuable tool to to get me through those tough times. That's a great question. I I spend time with far fewer people uh, than I used to. Vax and I were just listening to a podcast. Derek Sivers was was talking about just having two really awesome people in your life. And I think that's a great tip for introverts. I think it's a, a terrible tip for extroverts, um, especially, uh, you know, people who, who want to spend a majority of their time alone. And so what I'll tell you is my relationships look appreciably different today compared to what they look like back in the corporate world when I was 27 years old. And I thought that I had to do all these extroverted things and attend all of these community meetings and networking events and meetings and post-meeting meetings and pre-meeting meetings and, and all of these things. And it's not like these people were bad people. They're fine people that I spent most of my time with. They just didn't share my, my values necessarily. They didn't share my interests or desires. And now I associate with fewer people and the best advice I ever got is you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. 
And really what that means is you can't try to fix someone in your life. If their values are different from yours, that's okay. But you can surround yourself with people who do have similar values, similar interests, beliefs, desires, similar goals and paths that, that you want to go down. And you can have a well-curated life that way. Every Tuesday, we do something on Periscope called Tuesdays with the Minimalists. We're doing this uh, throughout January 2016. And it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, where we do a sort of a live Q&A session with folks on, on Periscope. And you know, hundreds or thousands of people show up, and we just sort of answer your questions there live on camera. And it's, it's really great. And, and we've had quite a few people every time we're up there. A, they mention Ryan's hair. Um, they always want him to do weird things with his hair, which is <laughs> awesome. And then, and then some people mention, like, especially Ryan in particular, like, in order to be a minimalist, Ryan, do you have to always wear a black T-shirt and jeans? Right, right. And the answer is yes. And you can buy the T-shirts and jeans from our website for $149.95. That's right. Uh, no, you, <laughs> you, you know, I, I think it's it's not about that. I think minimalists wear their, their favorite clothes. And so we wrote an essay about this called Favorite Clothes of a Minimalist, uh, which you can find at theminimalist.com slash clothes. But Ryan, do you want to talk about your, um, your, your choice to literally wear a uniform every day? Yeah, I just wear a uniform because it's easy, um, <laughs> that, to be honest. But at the end of the day, the uniform that I wear, I love and I really feel good when I wear a black T-shirt and when I wear jeans. And uh, it's, they're great, great quality jeans, great quality shirts. I'm very comfortable. And I don't, I don't find myself, uh, not that I did this all the time where I was you know, spending hours getting ready, going through clothes and trying to find the right outfit. Um, but I don't find myself spending nearly as much time getting ready for sure. And making you don't have to make as many decisions either, right. which it's a silly decision. We have to make all these little tiny decisions. So later in the day at 4 p.m., we're worn out because we've already made the 120 decisions that we have for the day that are good decisions. Why not save the decision on something that is more meaningful? Yeah, but I'll tell you what I love. Well, I'll tell you what I hated, and this does not happen anymore. When I would go to my closet and I'd pull out a shirt, and I'm like, man, I really love that shirt, but it doesn't really look that good on me. Maybe I needed to like lose a little weight or maybe I needed to gain a little weight. Just it didn't look right on me. And then I would put it back in my closet and be like, oh, one day, one day that's going to fit. And when I went through my packing party, I just remember getting rid of so many clothes with t- that had tags still on them and all those someday uh, shirts. But yeah, I do not experience that anymore, which is which is awesome. And my hair. Well, it's just fabulous. That's that's just kind of how it works. <laughs> oh shoot! No, I uh, I appreciate all the compliments on Periscope. <laughs> that's that's great. Felly V asks on YouTube. This is on our our YouTube channel, which we just did a bunch of rearranging, so you can check out a bunch of excerpts from our documentary on there. And uh, Felly is actually asking about the documentary. Uh, they said, "When is your movie coming out?" And it'll be in theaters in the United States and Canada, hopefully about 400 cities. We, we signed a distribution deal last year with a unique distributor. And more details come in on that. You can actually help us get the documentary to your city. We'll have a lot of 
of information on that, but it's going to come out May 24th, 2016. We're really excited about it. We've spent the last two years working on this, interviewing minimalists from all different walks of life, minimalist families, minimalist entrepreneurs and librarians and musicians. Yeah, all of these different people with who use minimalism to simplify their life so they can figure out and, and focus on what they care about most. And so that'll be in theaters May 24th. We're looking forward to sharing it with you. And also, Ryan and I are going to go to 12 and a half cities and uh, screen this documentary right before it actually comes out in, in theater. So you can uh, take place in that as well. Details are coming on that very st- soon. Stay tuned to uh, the film's website, which is minimalismfilm.com, or you can just subscribe to our uh, website, theminimalists.com. Just enter your email there, and we'll make sure we keep you posted on that. And, of course, we'll never, ever, ever send you spam because spam is yucky. And that brings us to the Pinterest question from Bridget Elizabeth, uh, where we had posted something about this campaign in Honduras, and she wrote about, or she wrote this, this pin doesn't link back to anywhere. Can you edit the source source to link to the site where we can donate? So yes, um, we will absolutely update that link. And for anyone out there who is in a uh, giving mood, uh, we could certainly use your help too at theminimalists.com forward slash hope if you want to contribute to that uh, orphanage. Uh, I'd figured out how to use Pinterest recently. It turns out we we have a lot of people who follow us on Pinterest. We post our essays and also some beautiful architecture on there occasionally. We don't really use it that much, but we find a lot of people do get value in it. And we posted a photo of uh, us, Ryan and, and myself, signing 1,400 copies of Everything That Remains. So it was this mountain of, of books of Everything That Remains. Uh, we were signing those for charity. We actually asked people to donate to a campaign. So last year, 2015, was a year of contribution for uh, the minimalists. And thank you for giving us the opportunity not to just contribute to you all with our essays and books and everything else, and now with this podcast, which is awesome, but also contribute to the world around us. And so we did four different things last year. We, we built some, some clean water wells in Malawi, a village there. Uh, that was for my birthday campaign the prior year, but the, the money got allocated last year, so we were able to make that contribution. We built an elementary school in, in Laos, and Ryan just went over there for the grand opening of that. And thanks to you, we were able to raise enough money to literally build an entire school. Yeah, that's like the most amazing donation the fundraising thing I've ever been part of. And it happened so quick. It was like we got the money in February, uh, gave it to Tyson, and they had the school built by by the time I got out there in October, which was which was really cool. Yeah, it was amazing. And we actually raised so much money from that campaign. We took uh, the proceeds. There was a, a needy high school in uh, Uganda, and we partnered with our friends over at, at Misfit Conference in, in Fargo, North Dakota, and they uh, helped us fund a high school for an entire year in, in Uganda with the, with the extra money we made there. So, uh, And it's not just fund the high school, but it funds some really amazing programs that makes the high school more sustainable. It gives some education to mothers in the community and, and allows them to, to make micro-businesses that allow them to, to 
also bring money back into the school, but also uh, provide for their student, for their, their kids, their school supplies and everything else. And the last thing we uh, did, or actually in the process of doing, is building a, a family-style orphanage in Honduras. We, we uh, partnered with our friend Joshua Becker and his nonprofit, which is called The Hope Effect. And uh, we're building a family-style orf- orphanage there in uh, Honduras, and you can still contribute to that until the end of January 2016 if you're interested in, in helping us build that orphanage at uh, theminimalists.com slash hope. And we have a question from Google+. Plus. Now, here's a weird thing about Google+. Plus. Um, we literally have hundreds of thousands of followers on Google+, Plus, and we did nothing to deserve that. And, and so I'm not really sure why. Uh, I paid them all a dollar. <laughs> no, I split one dollar between all of them. Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we had uh, uh, someone, Adam Jones, uh, we, we wrote an essay. Uh, and Adam Jones' question to that essay was, so you don't gain any money from your website at all? And the essay was about you know, support the minimalists. And, and so last year, back in 2015, we got an email and actually had a call with some folks at, at Google about advertising with them. And it was interesting because I'm like, do they want us to do some sort of AdWords campaign? They, we don't generally do advertisements, but if someone from Google calls you, you, you tend to call them back. And so we, we set up a meeting and I met with the gentleman from Google and he was really, really nice, but he wanted us to place advertisements on our site. And with the stats, because they had our stats, we use Google Analytics on our site, uh, we would make roughly $10,000 a month from advertisements, which is six figures a year. It's pretty amazing from just placing a few banner ads on your website. Josh, if we could just make six figures a year, we'll be happy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and, and, uh, we tend not to let money dictate how we make our decisions. And it's been great to be able to say that all along, give lip service to that. Like, yeah, we're not allergic to money, but we're not going to let money run our lives. But then when someone shows up and says, here's a huge bag of money, all you have to do is put some ads on your site. And we ended up saying no to that, not because we think advertisements are inherently evil or bad. I mean, I think advertisements suck generally, and and I, I like avoiding them. And so they're kind of against our values. And so we didn't want to compromise our values for the sake of money. And we've had several people yell at us for this and say, you could have given that money to charity. Right. And it's like, well, but yeah, but it's, it's not part of my values. Robbing a bank isn't part of my values either. But if I robbed a bank and gave it all to charity, that wouldn't make it right. right. And, and so we decided not to put advertisements on our site. And the way to supplement for that is we gave people the opportunity to donate to our site so we can keep it going. And the same goes with our podcast. So our website, all the essays there, completely free. We do all kinds of free stuff. Most of our events that we do in person are free. They're not free to us, uh, but they're free to the attendees. And truly, they're not even free then. We still ask for your time and your attention which are, are more valuable than your money because money is a renewable resource. But the truth is that, you know, everything is is free, but you can still support it if you find value in our work. So if you find value in our podcast and you want to donate a dollar an episode, that goes a long way for us and helps us produce more. Uh, you can just go to theminimalists.com slash donate. You can read the whole story about why we decided to be 100% advertisement free on our website and also on our podcast. So we're not going to shill 
you know, T-shirts or mattresses or um, any of the other things that I hear on the countless podcasts I listen to. We're not going to bombard you with those messages, it, not because they're evil, but because they go against our values. And so to answer your question, Adam, you don't gain any money at all from your website? Well, no, you can donate there, and we certainly gain money that way. We also sell books. Uh, we, we sell books traditionally in bookstores, but also online. That's another way that, that we are able to earn a living. And the nice thing about being a minimalist, when you get your bills down to such a small uh, amount of money that you need to live every month, you can do certain things and not required to, to continue to feed a lifestyle that won't necessarily bring you joy or happiness. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment, which is reader comments. Ryan, you want to talk about Facebook? Yes. Uh, we had posted an essay on Facebook, and we have... Uh, that essay was uh, Minimalist Family, 12 Useful Links. Yeah, and we, we had this gentleman, his name is Hip Diggs, commented, I agree, but my 10-year-old daughter drives me crazy with her clutter. <laughs> so so what Mr. Diggs here is is saying is that yes you can be a minimalist family but I my daughter prevents me from being truly a a minimalist which you know the only thing I would say is tell that to Leo Babalta our friend Leo if you go to the minimalists.com/leo he has 6 kids and he's sort of the ultra minimalist he puts Ryan and and myself to shame when it comes to living a, a minimalist lifestyle. Uh, the, uh, the quote that came to mind, I just posted a picture on my, my personal Instagram account, account the other day, um, was from Epictetus, and it was a picture of, of uh, Rebecca and, and her daughter. And uh, the, the quote that I added to that is, when your child, I'm sorry, when you call your child, be prepared that she may not respond to you, or if she does, she might not do what you want her to do. Under these circumstances, it doesn't help your child for you to become agitated. It should not be in her power to cause you any disturbance. Amen. So, Mr. Diggs, I would encourage you to read that quote. It should not be within your child's power to cause you any disturbance. I love the Stoics. Amen. So, um, Michelle on Twitter writes... Ryan should wear a man bun. What? Um, no. Mariah, what do you think? Yeah. No. <laughs> she's giving the throat slashing sound. I'm not sure if she means literally she's going to slash your throat if you wear a man bun, but I'm going to assume yes. Yes, I'm going to assume that too. Thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> so um, also you can write uh, your comments to us. At our P.O. Box, you can find all the, the P.O. Box information. We get tons and tons of letters and postcards. We read every single one of them, and we do our best to respond to all of them as well. It's our preferred method of, of written communication. If you're not going to contact us on social media, just go to theminimalists.com slash contact. You can find our information for our P.O. Box there, and we read every single one of those. On SoundCloud, Levi Flint says... I'm so glad you guys decided to make a, podga a podcast. Seriously, what a great idea. Also, your theme song is awesome. Our theme song is awesome. I agree. Uh, Peter Doran, uh, you can find more of his music at theminimalists.com slash Peter. He wrote the theme song. It's called 
Every Little Thing. And if you go to that link, you can also see a video of him performing it. And it's an amazing song. When we did a tour in the UK in uh, the fall of 2014, he went on some of the tour stops with us. And he's such a, a talented musician. And we're grateful that he was able to let us use that song after begging him to use it. And we'll continue to use it for a while. It's a phenomenal song, and it fits perfectly with our minimalist motif. Let's go on to a comment from iTunes. Ed Hahn says, What is great about these two is they don't have one brand of minimalism. They speak and write broadly enough that you can take their comments and mold them to your situation and get genuine value from it. I I love reading things like this because that is so true. There is no one way to be a minimalist. And Josh and I are not proselytizing on how everyone should be living their lives. Uh, we are simply sharing a recipe that has worked for us. And and I, I think any good person, if they take a recipe, they want to make it their own and add their own ingredients. And they might keep a lot of our ingredients in there, but certainly, uh, you know, with Leo, he's going to have a lot different ingredients in his minimalist lifestyle than we are. Yeah. And you can adjust it to your own personal taste. If you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert, if you want to travel around the world, if you want to be location independent, if you want to live in a big city, if you want to live in rural Montana, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And sharing our recipe allows you to have the ingredients and sequence that we used, and then you can adjust it as little or as much as you want to suit your life. The last part of the reader comments, we would usually play a reader voicemail for you right now. So if you have a voicemail for us, you can simply give us a call. So if you have a question or a comment, 406-219-7839. And, of course, we'll send some autographed books to some of our favorite questions and favorite comments. But because this is our very first podcast, we don't have any reader comments at this point. Let's move on to our added value segment. This is uh, each podcast, Ryan and I will talk about something that is currently adding value to our lives. And generally, it'll have very little to do with minimalism. It'll just be something that we're, we are currently finding value in. And there's a podcast I'm, I'm listening to, I listen to with regularity. It's called the uh, Culture Gab Fest. It's with uh, the folks at Slate. They, they produce this. And there's three individuals there. And they share recommendations at the end of their podcast. And so that's the reason I'm recommending this now is that's the where I got the idea for uh, recommendations. They call it endorsements. But that is really adding value to my life right now. I don't really stay that connected with pop culture these days. I mean, we moved to Montana, and I don't have Internet or a TV at home. And so I don't necessarily you know, stay heavily connected to pop culture. But this podcast is one way for me to continue to understand sort of popular culture, but in a way that is entertaining and uh, a way that I find value. Yeah, for me, I, I'm going to give a shout out to Dogwood Coffee. Since we were talking about the Keurig earlier and talking about coffee, I was just in Minneapolis and picked up uh, some, some beans there. And man, they are just a really well-crafted roastery independently run ran independently ran and they do an amazing job and i think that they should totally get a, get a shout out um you can order coffee online they're not paying me to say this i promise <laughs> yeah i think you just just google their name dogwood yeah. coffee google dogwood coffee and you can order uh they got an ethiopian right now and a 
think of Guatemalan. That's really, really good. Yeah, phenomenal coffee. And, and we always joked last uh, last tour that we were on that we were. It was just an excuse to be on a coffee tour all over the world. We did eight countries, and and we even uh, wrote an article for Elle magazine about our favorite coffee shops, coffee roasters, and Dogwood was was definitely on that list. And so, uh, yeah, check them out. If you love great coffee, you'll probably find a lot of value in, in that. I just appreciate when someone has a craft and that they put their passion into it, and it really comes through at Dogwood. Absolutely. Well, as always, if we could leave you and this podcast with one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, folks, that's it for today's episode. Ryan, do you want to read the script? Yes. This podcast was produced by Sean Harding. Our theme music was written and performed by Peter Doran. For more of Peter's music, visit theminimalists.com slash Peter. If you have a question or a comment for The Minimalists, give us a call at 406-219-7839. That number again is 406-219-7839. Or post your question on social media using the hashtag AskTheMinimalists. We'll see you next time. See you. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for, and you gotta grab, oh I bet that you'll be fine without it, so tear your eyes away, or tear